I, uh, I was thinking a while ago, we'll back up, I don't want to spit on you. Uh, you know, Kobe, I really appreciate that. Because, um, you know, as, as he's saying those things, you know, the first thought that, that entered my mind, and this is just, just jokingly, but it's, you know, he's stealing my thunder. Because <laughs> pretty much, at the end of today, what I wanted, or what I feel like the Holy Spirit has for us is to understand exactly what Kobe's talking about just now, about the fact that our goodness doesn't come from within us, that it's Christ's work in our lives. It's what He is doing that makes us good. You know, we've been walking through the book of Ecclesiastes with the purpose of, of understanding what it means to be God's love in a broken world. Um, and in order for us to ever be that, we got to understand the truth of what Kobe just shared. That it's not us, it's not our goodness that's God's love in a broken world. It's God, it's Him, it's, it's Christ in us. We talk about that in Colossians chapter 3, it's Christ in us, which is the hope of glory. It's not, it doesn't have to do with what, what we, who we are. So, man, Kobe, I really appreciate that this morning. That was, a, that was a good word, and it's right in line with what the Spirit has for us today. Um, so, good morning. Um, I'm really glad to see you guys, and if you're joining us online, uh, I'm glad you're able to join us. And, and I just want to say, again, thank you to, um, to Mike and Ben and Anna, who every Sunday do all the stuff to, to make it where we can do what we do. We really appreciate them, and we don't say um, thank you quite often enough, so thanks to you guys. I want to, to kind of give you a bit of a warning this morning um, as we dive into our scripture. We're going to end out um, Ecclesiastes chapter 7, and, and the reason I want to give you a warning is this is one of those scriptures where if you just are not really paying attention as you read through it the enemy just like he talked about a while ago is going to be whispering stuff in your ear and you can misunderstand um, the purpose of or the intent behind what the um, the author of Ecclesiastes is trying to um, to share with us and and I want I want you to understand this 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 text is pretty complex. Um, it's got some brain teasers in there. It's worded in interesting ways. Uh, and I had Anna throw that up there. Just, this is not an attaboy to will. This was me trying to make sense of this this week, okay? Um, that's not there necessarily for you to read because I changed a lot of the wording of that because it's just my shorthand trying to make sense of stuff. All right, take it off there. Look focused on that, not on me, <laughs> or not on, on what I'm trying to say. The point is, is that I, that's not normal for me, okay? Typically, I just kind of take some notes as I'm reading through commentaries and stuff during the week, but with this passage in particular, because of the things that are said, and you'll see, we're going to read the whole, the whole text in a minute so we can get some context, um, but you'll see very quickly what we're talking about. But I, I want us to... Um, to, to understand, Kara, stop texting. It's popping up on my screen. <laughs> Sorry. It was distracting me. We're a family. We can do that. Just like if we were in life group. I did, but, it, but you're in my family, and so it pops up anyway. Anyway, we're good. All right, here we go. The purpose in me saying all this is we got to stay plugged in. We got to stay focused, right? Me too. Because here's what's going to happen. If we're not focused on the text today, if we're not letting our hearts be engaged by the Holy Spirit, you may hear half of something and you're going to miss the, the word that the Lord has for us today. He's got, there's some good stuff in here. So as we read it, don't panic. Just hang in there with me uh, and we're going to see what the Lord has for us. All right, y'all ready? Everybody focused? All right, here we go. All right, so Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verses 23, and then we're going to go through chapter 8, verse 1. All right? And just because that's the way it, it chunks best. So let's start with verse 23. I have tested all this by wisdom. I resolved, I will be wise, but it was beyond me. What exists is beyond reach and very deep. Who can discover it? 
I turn my thoughts to know, explore, and examine wisdom and an explanation for things and to know that wickedness is stupidity and folly is madness. And I find more bitter than death the woman who is a trap, her heart a net and her hands chains. The one who pleases God will escape her, but the sinner will be captured by her. Look, says the teacher, I have discovered this by adding one thing to another and found out the explanation which my soul continually searches but does not find. I found one person in a thousand, but none of those was a woman. Only see this. I have discovered that God made people upright, but they pursued many schemes. Who is like the wise person? Who knows the interpretation of a matter? A person's wisdom brightens his face, and the sternness of his face is changed. All right, you see what I'm talking about? There's some stuff in there about women, and here's, here's what will happen, Okay. If you just graze across that, you're going you're gonna to look at this and go, man, this guy's lost it. Or you're going to say, man, I really agree with this guy saying don't, okay? Because he's not saying what you think. So let's dig into this, okay? So ladies in the room, just hear me say this. These are not generalized statements about women, okay? He's not a misogynist. That's not what's going on here. So let's dig in. And we're going to get to some of those statements later, but we're going to address some other things first. But just trust me, hang in there. There's some good stuff, okay? So the first thing I want to discuss this morning is this question that he asked in verse 24. So let's look at 23 and 24 again so we can kind of get refocused. He says, I've tested all this by wisdom. And what he means by all this is all the stuff that we've talked about in chapter 7 prior to this. His, his searching for wisdom. So he's tested all this. And he says, I resolved I will be wise, but it was beyond me. What exists beyond reach um, and very deep? Who can discover it? So point number one I want to make is that only God can possess all wisdom. We've talked a lot about wisdom over the last several weeks. But we need to understand that it's only God who can possess all of it. I want to ask you a question. I want to ask, how many times in your life have you resolved to do something? Most of us fall into that at New Year's, right? We're going to make a resolution and we're going to make some changes, whether it's a diet or an exercise routine or whatever. We make these resolutions in our life. But how many times have we made a resolution, have we resolved to do something, and it lasted through the remainder of our life? Never, right? And I can say that with confidence because we're all still alive, right? So none of us have gotten to the end of our life. But the point is, is that we can look at those, those times in our lives where we've resolved to do something and we can already see failure in that area. And, and it could be that you've, you know, fell off for just a minute or you've completely gotten off the boat, right? If you haven't learned it yet, when you truly discover God's grace, you're going you're gonna to see the lesson that we need to learn today. And that lesson is, is that, that we cannot do this in our own power. It's the same thing that, that Kobe was talking about a while ago. We cannot resolve to do something and then actually see it through for the remainder of our lives. So where's the issue? What's the error of the preacher's desire that he is expressing here? And by the way, if, if you're new with us today, when I'm talking about the preacher, that's not me referring to myself in the third person. I'm talking about the author of Ecclesiastes, just in case you were curious. He's trying to accomplish something that he's incapable of doing. He says, I resolved, and then he goes on to say, but it was beyond me. Do you see what he's telling us? He's saying, I decided I was going to do a thing, and after pursuing it, I realized it was not something that I could do on my own. He tried, and he failed, and he's sharing that with us. 
And this is a, a truth that we need to remind ourselves of on a daily basis. It's not that we need to look, on, look at ourselves in a depressing light and say, you know, woe is me, look how terrible of a person I am. But it's looking at ourselves with the same perspective that God does is that, that we cannot be the men and women that God has called us to be without, um, without God. We cannot do that in our own strength. It's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we can be the people that God's called us to be. If we were able to do it on our own, there'd been no point for, for Jesus to have ever come. We and the, and the preacher are alike, just like Kobe talked about a while ago, and this is written in my notes. I said, we have the enemy in our ear first thing in the morning trying to convince us that we can do all of it on our own. And that continues throughout our day. And so we have to be vigilant to remind ourselves. I've loved the last couple of weeks we've sang Psalm 90. Um, and it's, it speaks to this moment-by-moment moment need of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. If you look at me with, with me real quick at, at, at Psalm 90, verses 14 through 17. I love when I, I listen to a recording on YouTube where Shane uh, Bernard is introducing this song. And he makes a remarkable point about our human condition. Let's look at this, this scripture real quick, and then I'll point out what he's saying. He says, the scripture says, satisfy, satisfy us in the morning with your faithful love so that we may shout with joy and be glad all our days. Make us rejoice for as many days as you have humbled us, for as many years as we have seen adversity. Let your work be seen by your servants and your splendor by their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be on us. Establish for us the work of our hands. Establish the work of our hands. Shane points out that, that only a person who is unsatisfied asks for someone to satisfy them. Think about that. It's kind of a duh statement, but isn't that what we need? We need satisfaction because if, if we try to step out on our own and accomplish works on our own, what we are saying to ourselves and to God and to other people is that we're not satisfied with where God has us. Right? And so the cry of the psalmist is, Lord, satisfy me with your love. Let that be enough for me. Just you. He's speaking to us what we need to say daily to ourselves, that we need to let the Lord remind us of, to, to satisfy us with steadfast love. And, and look, I love the dependency that's communicated through this passage. Look at the, the phrases he, he uses, satisfy us, make us, let us, establish for us the work of our hands. Who's, do, excuse me, who's doing all the work there? It's not the psalmist. It's God. God is doing all the work. And any time that we try to take over and take control of our lives, we're going to fail and we're going to suffer for it. I can tell you for certain that this week for me as I'm studying this passage, that there were multiple times where I said, God, I need your wisdom. I need you to show me what the author of Ecclesiastes is trying to say here because I, can't, I don't see it. I need some help. So we're going to look at that today, okay? And because I, I want you guys to understand that, that the messages that the Lord has for us, this is not Will's wisdom, right? I don't have much. This is me going before the Lord and saying, God, what do you want to speak to your, to your people? That's, that's always the goal, Okay? So let's look at verses 25 through 26 in Ecclesiastes 7. Let's move forward. He said, I turn my thoughts to know, explore, and examine wisdom and an explanation for things. And to know, what wickedness is, that, to know that wickedness is stupidity and folly is madness. And I find more bitter than death the woman who is a trap, her heart a net and her ch hands chains. The one who pleases God will escape her, but the sinner will be captured by her. 
Do you remember the preacher saying earlier in this book that he, that he sought out wisdom? You know, we've talked about this before that some people believe the author is, is King Solomon. Others say maybe not. Uh, maybe it's a combination of works. But regardless, Solomon, if, if he is the author, was one of the richest, wisest men. And he got that wisdom. How? He asked God for it. But that wasn't enough for him. He asked God for wisdom, but then he says, and in our scripture, he points it out again. He says, I resolve. So he went looking for the wisdom of the world. And after he did that, he said, well, let me go search out wickedness and folly so I can see both sides of the coin. So I can fully understand wisdom because we can't understand it without also seeing the wickedness and folly. So that's what, we, that's what he's describing here. His intent was to understand the world and therefore gain wisdom. And in this passage, he's showing us the result of that endeavor. Do you remember when we did the introduction when Russ talked about illusion, what that is? Illusion is, is an expression designed to call something to mind without us having to think about it. And the example that Russ shared with us was Lady and the Tramp. That anytime you see two people eating spaghetti, your brain automatically thinks of Lady and the Tramp, if you've seen that movie. We have lots of things in our lives like that. I was, I was sharing with one of my daughters this week. Um, she said, uh, what was the phrase that Amy said? She said, when I was, and I finished her statement with a young warthog, right? Because that's, my brain works that way. And she looked at me like I was crazy because I, I am a little bit. Okay, but that, again, that's, that's illusion. It's that our minds snap to something without having to think about what it is. So that's what the author is doing here. He's not talking about women in general, but rather he's pointing back to something that we can see in the first nine chapters of Proverbs. We're not going to read the first nine chapters of Proverbs today, but we are going to read sections of chapter nine because I want us to see this together. I want us to have this aha moment where when the author of Ecclesiastes is saying that, that this woman is a trap and her hands are chains, I want us to understand what he's saying because he's not talking about women. So let's look at this together. Look at uh, Proverbs 9. We'll read verses 1 through 6, and then we'll talk about that for just a second. It says, Wisdom has built her house. She has carved out her seven pillars. She has prepared her meat. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her female servants, and she calls out from the highest points of the city. Whoever is inexperienced, enter here. The one who lacks sense, she says, come and eat my bread and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave inexperience behind and you will live. Pursue the way of understanding. So who is the she in these verses? It's wisdom, right? Lady wisdom, we'll call her that, okay? Now, now look a little further in chapter 9. This is verses 13 through 18. It says, folly is a rowdy woman. She must be a redhead, that's all I'm going to say. Just kidding. It's just kidding. I just make sure y'all pay attention. Folly is a rowdy woman. She is gullible and knows nothing. She sits by the doorway of her house on a seat at the highest point of the city, calling to those who pass by, who go straight ahead on their paths. Whoever is inexperienced, enter here. To the one who lacks scent, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten, in secret, eaten secretly is tasty. But he doesn't know that the departed spirits are there and her guests are in the depths of Sheol. So who is the she in these verses? Wickedness. Folly. Right? So we're going to call her Lady Folly. So the preacher, when he makes this statement in verse 26 of Ecclesiastes 7, he's pointing back to this well-established understanding of Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly. So he's not talking about women. He's talking about folly. 
So when we read this statement, we need to understand that the preacher is speaking of this description of Lady Folly. He is alluding to something that was well known, well understood in their culture. His point in these verses is to show us what he, that, that he has learned in his time that, that both Lady and Wisdom, Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly exist. And he is giving us his report and his experience on both of those. So to, to sum up the preacher's experience, he's taught, uh, taught us a valuable lesson. Point number two I want to make today is that choosing to live in wickedness and folly is more unpleasant than death. Now that's a bold statement. Right, And it's certainly not one that I'm qualified to make because I have not experienced death myself, obviously. Okay, But this is what the preacher's saying. We've talked about this before, but I want to remind you that if the preacher was Solomon, he was better positioned than any man has ever been to experience all that the world has to offer. He was rich, he was famous, and he was in charge. Literally whatever he wanted, he could have. And through that power, he learned that wickedness and folly did not bring happiness. This man has everything. And he sought out wisdom, and he sought out wickedness, and he's discovered that the wickedness and the folly did not bring happiness. Isn't this idea the gospel of the world? To say that if you want to be happy, go out and search out the things that are good for you. Do what feels right for you. Do what's good for you. That's what I, I believe Scripture is describing as wickedness and folly because the focus is, is on us. The preacher says that, that searching out wickedness, he says it's more bitter than death. And this is such an important lesson for us. We need to understand, we need to receive the testimony of a man who had everything. Because what he's saying is that we can choose to pursue the world, but in the end, death would be better for us than what we could gain from the world. And that is a bold statement. That is a statement that comes only by experience. And, and the preacher goes on to do us another favor. He says, not only does he tell us the result of such a pursuit, but he also tells us how to avoid it. He doesn't just say, here's the problem. He says, here's the, problems and here's the problem and here's how you get past it. Look at verse 26 with me again at the last half of that. He said, the one who pleases God will escape her, but the sinner will be captured by her. We escape and we evade the draw to wickedness and folly by being pleasing to God. It's not because we're good at juking, right? It's not because we're quick on our feet. We evade it because we're pleasing to God. So how do we do that? How do we please God? We know this one, right? What's the answer to this question? We don't. It's God's grace. When he looks at us as believers, he looks at us and he sees Jesus. But what you and I know at the gathering place, what we've talked about for so long, is that a big part of that process is us abiding in Christ. It's us daily making a decision to lay ourselves at the feet of Jesus and to ask him what it, what, what it is he wants for us to do and then to obey that. It's, it's in that abiding, that moment-by-moment moment decision-making that we avoid the snares of Lady Folly. We avoid it by living in the wisdom of God's leadership, by letting Him make the calls in our life. And living in submission to God does not come naturally, and it requires that we submit ourselves on a daily basis. This is not something that, that we just do, and it's because of sin in the world. Look what he goes on to say in verse 27 and 28. He says, look, says the teacher, I have discovered this by adding one thing to another to find out the explanation. 
which my soul continually searches for but does not find. I found one person in a thousand, but not one of these was a woman. Last week we talked a lot. We used the imagery of math to kind of help us understand what the, the author was talking about. And here we see that imagery again. But pay, pay close attention to it. He says, because if, 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 you, if you saw it, you'll, you'll understand. But if you didn't, let me point out. He says, I have discovered, right? Which means I've found, right? That means I have I've gotten to the solution, correct? We're using that same imagery. He says, I have found, but then he goes on to say, let me grab it here again. He says, my soul continually searches for, but does not find. Well, doesn't, the math doesn't work there, does it? He says, I've discovered, yet I don't find. He's adding up the total of his experiences in life and finds that he has still not found true wisdom because he's not looking for it in the right place. Again, we need to see that a person with all the resources and all the power could not find wisdom in what he could purchase or command. Because it's not in us. And I, I know very well that none of us uh, have anything near the resources or the power that King Solomon would have, right? We can agree on that. And if he couldn't find it in the world, then we certainly won't be able to either. Because we don't have the resources. We don't have the power. What he's discovering is that wisdom is rare. This is point number three for today. Wisdom is rare. He says that he searched out a thousand people and found only one that had wisdom. But let's talk about what's this woman comment again, okay? And, and I'll admit, this one kind of stumped me for a little while. I had to do some digging to figure out what he's talking about here. But thankfully, I'm not the one that has to make sense of it, right? We can trust God to show us. So let's, and, and again, I've talked about this before. I want to let Scripture kind of define what Scripture is saying here so it's not me interjecting my own thoughts. There's a tag in your Bible that points us to a passage in 1 Kings. Let's look at that, and let's kind of see what he's talking about here. Look at 1 Kings verses 11, verses 1 through 11. We're going to read this, and I want us to, to realize what's happening in King Solomon's life. He said, King Solomon loved many foreign women in addition to Pharaoh's daughter, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonite, and Hittite women. From the nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them, and you must not intermarry with you, because you will turn your heart away and follow their gods. To these women, Solomon was deeply attached in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 who were concubines, and they turned his heart away. When Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away to follow other gods, he was not wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord as God as his father David had been. Solomon allowed Ashtorite, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Milcom, the abhorrent idol of the Anamites. Solomon did what was evil in the Lord's sight, and unlike his father David, he did not remain loyal to the Lord. At that time, Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, an abhorrent idol of Moab, and for Milcom, the abhorrent idol of the Ammonites, on the hill across from Jerusalem. He did the same for all his foreign wives who were burning incense and offering sacrifices to their gods. The Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. And he commanded him about this so that he would not follow other gods. But Solomon did not do what the Lord commanded. Then the Lord said to Solomon, Since you have done this and did not keep my covenant and my statutes, which I commanded you, I will tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. So Solomon's comment is not about women in general. 
his comment is about the specific women that he chose to surround himself with. And remember, we just said a moment ago that the way that we are pleasing to God, what was that? It's through our obedience, right? Through abiding. And God gives Solomon these very specific rules about who he is to spend time with. And Solomon blatantly ignored God's commands and the result was him being constantly pulled from God and even to the point where he begins to worship other gods, little g. And I'm saying that wisdom is rare because there are very few men and women that are willing to submit themselves to God's authority. You see, this comment that Solomon's making is not about women in general. It's about these that were in his life. And specifically the fact that they did exactly what God said they were going to do. They pulled him away from God. We gain wisdom by experiencing life in obedience to God. When we choose to ignore God's instructions, we're setting ourselves up for failure every time. The preacher even even reveals this. Look at verse 29 and, and chapter 8, verse 1. He says, only see this. I have discovered that God made people upright, but they pursued many schemes. Who is like the wise person and who knows the interpretation of a matter? A person's wisdom brightens his face and the sternness of his face is changed. Again, we see allusion to creation here. He's making the point that God did not create us the way we exist today. That God created us in his image, perfect, just like he was. But we chose to sin. We choose to sin. We choose to disobey. I even get the sense as I'm reading the end of this chapter that that Solomon is confessing his own sin. That when he's saying that they pursued, let me pull it back up, they pursued many schemes, that he is including himself in that. That he gave himself into Lady Folly in order to chase what he hoped might bring happiness. As we saw last week, all of us sin, all of us are lumped in that category with him. All of us have pursued many schemes, giving into Lady Folly in order, that we, in order to chase what we thought might bring us happiness. Even in the end, though, the preacher has not given up on wisdom. He says that we should seek wisdom, but not in our own power. So the last point I want to make today is that wisdom should be sought by abiding. Not through us trying to be good people, not because we're out trying to gain experiences in the world. Wisdom should be, bought, should be sought by abiding. By choosing to live under God's leadership, is, that's when we're going to gain true wisdom. Godly wisdom is by allowing God, when we run into things in our life and we say, God, I don't know what to do here, that we let God speak. We wait until he speaks and then we do what he says. Solomon asked this question. He says, what's the advantage of wisdom? If he spent his whole life in pursuit of it, what can we possibly gain that Solomon didn't? Again, he's alluding in this passage. There's a word in here, the word interpretation, and it's pointing us back to a story that's very familiar to us. You remember the story of Joseph, right? Joseph had a coat of many colors, had a dream, told his brothers, one day I'll lord over you. Made his brothers mad because he was a little brother. So they sold him into slavery. He's bought by Potiphar's wife, or by Potiphar, doing Potiphar's bidding in the house. Potiphar's wife lied about him. We'll leave it at that, right? And he gets thrown into jail. So now he's in jail, and we're going to pick up the story there because I want us to read it. I want us to see this. This is Genesis chapter 40, verse 5, and we'll read through 41, um, chapter, or verse 15. It says, The king of Egypt's cupbearer, the baker, and the baker, 
who were confined in prison each had a dream. Both had a dream on the same night, and each dream had its own meaning. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they looked distraught. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were in custody with him in his master's house, Why do you look so sad today? We had dreams, they said to him, but there's no one to interpret them. Interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, Don't interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph. In my dream, there was a vine in front of me. On the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blo- it, its blossoms came out and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand and I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. This is the interpretation, Joseph said. The three branches are three days. In just three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position. You will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand the way you used to when you, enter his cup, when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well for you, remember that I was with you. Please show kindness to me by mentioning, to me, mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. For I was kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews, and even there I've done nothing that they should put me in the dungeon. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was positive, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. Three baskets of white bread were on my head, and the top basket were all sorts of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. This is the interpretation, Joseph replied. The three baskets are three days. In just three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from off of you and hang you on a tree. Then the birds will eat the flesh from your body. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he gave a feast for all his servants. He elevated the chief cupbearer and the chief baker among his servants. Pharaoh restored the chief cupbearer to his position as cupbearer, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But Pharaoh hanged the chief baker just as Joseph had explained to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. At the end of two years, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing beside the Nile. When seven healthy-looking, well-fed cows came up from the Nile and began to graze among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, sickly and thin, came up from the Nile and stood beside those cows along the bank of the Nile. The sickly, thin cows ate the healthy, well-fed cows, and Pharaoh woke up. He fell asleep and dreamed a second time. Seven heads of grain, plump and good, came up on a stalk. After them, seven heads of grain, thin and scorched by the east wind, sprouted up. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven plump ones. Then Pharaoh woke up early, and this was only a dream. When morning came, he was troubled, so he summoned the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. And Pharaoh told them their dreams, his dreams, but no one could interpret for him. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today I remember my faults. Pharaoh was angry with his servants, and he put me and the chief baker in the custody of the captain of the guards. He and I had dreams on the same night. Each dream had its own meaning. Now a young Hebrew, a slave, the captain of the guards, was there with us. He told him our dreams. He interpreted our dreams for us, and each had its own interpretation. It turned out just the way he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position, and the other man was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent for Joseph and then quickly brought him up from the dungeon. He shaved, changed his clothes, and went to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have a dream, and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it is said about you that you can, you can hear a dream and interpret it. So I'm, I'm reading all that because I want us to see what's happening here. That Joseph is not relying on his own wisdom. That the same Joseph that had a dream as a child and understood that he would one day rule over his brothers, that Spirit of God was still in him and still revealing truth to him for the purpose of elevating uh, Joseph up to where he needed him to be. Look at verse uh, 33 in chapter 41. It says, So now Pharaoh... Um, 
So now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and set him over the, the land of Egypt. So, so Pharaoh has his dream interpreted by Joseph. And Joseph tells him that there's seven years of, of feasting and seven years of famine. And so here's the things that you should do to set up for that. And so Pharaoh says, well, shoot, uh, if that's going to happen, I need someone wise to take care of everything. And, and look at verses 37 through 39. It says, the proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And he said to them, can we find anyone like this, a man who has God's spirit in him? So Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one as discerning and as wise as you are. And so he puts Joseph in at the number two spot in all of Egypt. Now, was any of that Joseph's work? Was that his wisdom where he was interpreting those dreams? No, every bit of that was God's wisdom. Joseph said it from the beginning that interpretations belong to God. And so he spoke what God revealed about these dreams. And it's God's work in his life that brings him from where he was to where God needed him to be so that eventually he could take care of his family that was suffering through famine, right? We know that story. And just as an extra bonus, I, I, see that, I want you to see that we have a reminder here that sometimes in order for God to reveal himself, it takes some time. Think about the years that Joseph was in slavery and then it says that he was in prison for two years. Church, I just want us to hear this and understand that when life is difficult and things are moving slow, it doesn't mean that God's not working, right? I know that there's a lot of testimonies in here where we've been praying about a situation in our lives and the Lord says, just wait, just wait, just wait. And eventually God is going to fulfill, he's going to complete the work that he began for us. But we need to understand that, that even our time here on earth, we've talked about this word hevel before, that it's temporary. That though it seems like we're going through something that's taking forever, we're going to be able to look back before long and it will be over. So going back to our passage in Ecclesiastes, when we make it our goal to submit to God and follow his leadership in every area of our lives, that's when change begins to happen. That's when we begin to gain wisdom. When we, when we follow God's commands, something wonderful happens. Look at the first part of verses of chapter 8, verse 1 with me. It says, who is like the wise person and who knows the interpretation of a matter? God's, God's wisdom, when manifest in our lives, changes us back into what God created us to be originally. When Christ's work begins in our lives, when we begin to experience him through abiding our hearts are changed. And that's what's being described at the last half of verse 1. It says, a person's wisdom brightens his face. Do you remember, and again, allusion going back to Moses. What happened when he was in the presence of God? His face shone like the sun, right? But that doesn't happen because we got the right diet or we're doing the right workout. That happens because of the works of the Lord in our lives. I was listening to a, a song uh, yesterday. It's a new song for me. I don't know how long it's been out. But uh, in the first verse, the, the singer sings this line. I can't remember exactly, but he says that you had a temple made of the finest stone, but you chose to dwell in this broken vessel of clay. Right? God chose us. That's what Kobe was talking about this morning. That God looks on us and he loves us. He wants to share his wisdom with us. But the only way that happens is when we allow him to be in charge of our lives. When we submit to his leadership. 
And when that happens, he says that wisdom brightens our faces and the sternness is changed. Think about that. Think about the way a person's face looks when they're depressed or stressed. They're not shining, right? They're dull. Their, their faces are, are droopy and drawn down because life is just hard on them. But when we allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives, our, you know, our, our whole demeanor, just like we talked about with Moses, it changes. The way we talk, the way we move about our lives, the things that we say, the way that we say them becomes not us, but God. Because He is working through us. When we allow Him to work in our lives, when we submit to Him, He brings wisdom and peace and joy. And at that time, we not only feel better about our lives and about ourselves, but people can see it on us. They see the change that's happened in our lives. We see that often with new believers. They, they understand grace for the first time and the Holy Spirit enters their body whenever they give their lives to Him and they are new creations. We see that in the life of Paul, which he talked about a while ago. We see that in the lives of our fellow believers. When we allow God to work in our hearts and He changes them and He changes the perspective that we have and, and we, we realize that we're not in control anymore that the circumstances of our lives are beyond what we can manipulate. When we finally get to that place, we're showing the world the true nature of God, that, that we don't have the answers. And that's how we're God's love in a broken world. It's not by us saying, look, I figured out all the things. I have all the answers. It's saying, I don't have any of the answers, and I don't know any of this stuff, but I know the God that does. So come with me. Let's talk with him, and let's figure out what's going on. Let's not introduce people to what we think we know and what we think we have to offer, right? Let's introduce people to the God who loves them. Let's help people to move beyond the brokenness by introducing them to a God who can fix everything. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your faithfulness to, to help us to understand a passage like this that we can, can take a moment to just look at Scripture and allow you to to work in us the truth that you're trying to say, even though it may not be uh, something that's relevant to our culture or something that we think of on a daily basis. God, you are faithful to, to share truth with us. God, I ask that this week that you would um, help us to understand what it means to be uh, in submission to you, to let you be uh, in charge of our lives, to learn what it means to moment by moment to abide in you, to seek you, to seek your answers, your wisdom to the things that we're experiencing in life. Teach us to lean into that and not into our own understanding. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For uh, Kobe, leads us in our closing song. Man, during worship this morning, I thought, I, I grabbed my journal a couple of times. I thought, I need to get up and share what the Lord gave me this morning because it was so spot on to what God was speaking. Then, the whole time Will's preaching, I'm thinking, okay, I got to say this before we, before we sing this last song. So I hope you guys have enough energy to stay plugged in just for a minute because I really believe this is from the Lord because of the consistency of the message, as always. You know, he spoke through Kobe and the worship songs and, and, and through Will. And as an elder of the church, I really believe this is a word for us. I've been through this whole process. I, I, you know, early on in the COVID days, I started posting some things about how I felt like the Lord wanted to draw us back into worship, uh, to, to real worship, like to really 
focusing on our own individual uh, relationship with him. So abiding in him, coming to know him by experience through obedience when we couldn't do anything else. And even when the elders met and we started talking about coming back to do worship together, to, to do a corporate experience, I still, there's a part of me that was hesitant because I felt like we weren't done with that yet. And, and I, I've just been burdened, and I know it's coming from the Holy Spirit. I'm burdened about the condition of our, of our hearts and our worship. Um, I, I just don't, I don't feel like our, our worship is true. I, I, I don't think that, that we've come out of this with, not, not everybody. I'm just saying evaluate yourself. But as a church, as a whole, I feel like we're, our worship is just, it's not, it's not true. Um, you know, we're, we're not desiring to, to worship God. Um, you know, I don't even, I, maybe we can't, I don't even know why we're here, why we came back, but that's for us to evaluate. I believe the Lord wants us to do that today. But the thing that kind of hit me today in my quiet time and in the message and in what Kobe was uh, leading us to in worship and his testimony at the end is that the problem is, I think, is because we have, for some of us, we are trying to, to dig into knowledge and, and hoping that, that just gaining more knowledge is going to be like, we're going we're gonna to dig in, we're going we're gonna to read the Bible, but we, we're gonna, it's for knowledge's sake. And we're not bringing it all the way into obedience, and we're not consulting God about the specific things of our lives anymore because we think we already know. We already got it. And so it's become, you know, some of us, there, there are groups of pockets of people within our church that are pursuing more knowledge, but it's not leading to more worship. And I think what's happening is, and it's happened in my life at different times, and, I, and so it's a warning for us. What's happened for us is some of us are, we're really, think, we're really getting deep in knowledge, but we're fixated. And we've quit experiencing God, and so our worship is not, we're not worshiping God and overwhelmed with who we discovered through obedience we're just we're just gaining more knowledge and so I, I you know admonish us to consider that to to make sure that we're we're you know we're not getting fixated on just gaining knowledge and I mean Will's done been faithful to preach it and Kobe's been faithful to lead us in worship in this way and and, and we need to be consistent in abiding in Christ this morning uh, there's a couple of things that I read one was in in uh, in Psalm 145. I was just overblown, uh, blown away by this one fact, and it's what Kobe shared earlier. In, in verses 8 and 9, it says, The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He's good to all, and his mercy is over us all, and over all that he has made. And I read that, and it, you know, I just thought, man, I was feeling that. You know, God's mercy and his grace is so, is, is toward us, is so strong, and it, it, oop, and it leads us to worship. But then later on in the verse, I, I thought, you know, so again, I thought, okay, well, why aren't, you know, why, is, why are we not sitting on pins and needles waiting to worship? Uh, you know, why, why are we not anxious to worship God? I mean, we can, let's just be honest. We've got space in the, in the sanctuary today, and we've had space in the sanctuary every week. And that's all this is about is worship today. We can't hang out. We can't, you know, our, our motivation for being here is, is one thing, should be. I mean, it's really limited to this. It's worship. And yet we're not, we've we got empty seats. Why do we have empty seats when, when you know, I know we, we've got empty seats by COVID standards by state uh, requirements. 
Man, I just, I feel like after this COVID experience, there are some of us, man, that the Lord has been working in our hearts. And we, we, our love for God is deep and our appreciation for who he is is getting stronger, not weaker. And that's been the testimony of some, but it's not the testimony of all. So I really think we need to, to think about that. In the same passage in verses 18 and 19, he says, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. And I thought this morning, the application is, you know, when I read that, I thought, there's the problem. He said, we know that if we are calling on God for the details of our life, every moment of our lives, if we were abiding in him and pursuing his will in our lives, really getting after that. I mean, like digging in the way some, all of us have at some point in our lives, pursuing God, calling on him for instead of calling on our own wisdom or just calling on the routine or, you know, calling on logic. But calling on God in our lives, that he is near, and he would show that he's near. He would be giving us his wisdom. And, and he goes on to say, he fulfills the desires of those who fear him. And he hears their cry, and he saves them. And then he says, in response to that, verse 21, my mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. Let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. So I really believe our issue is we're not pursuing God we're as a church, as a whole. There are many of us that are not pursuing, and, and, that's, and there's no reason for that. We know, what, we know what to do. We know how to live our lives, what, how to be a disciple. We know where worship comes from. But our worship is our authentic. Worshiping him in truth is not going to happen until we start pursuing. I mean, we just we need to get after it as a church. And I just really believe the Lord wants to do that. And then verse in, this morning also in Romans 9, this was so cool, but in Romans 9, this is what Paul was saying about Israel. He said, uh, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. Why? He says, for I could, not, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh, the Israelites. To them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs. And from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. And Paul was saying, man, I, you know, the, the ones that should get this are the ones that have been hearing it all through the years. They have the heritage of, of knowing how to, to, to what it takes to, to walk in a relationship with God and to know him in a way that draws us to worship. And, and that's, that, that just spoke to the burden of my heart, is that we know, we know. God has taken this church on a journey and brought us to the point of narrowing it down to abiding in him, blessing each other, and committing to community. We know. And yet, our worship is dry. Some of us. And I've got to say, man, <laughs> this dude right here, I've watched him come alive during COVID. Amen? That dude right there, I've watched him come alive during COVID. And, and that should be all of us. And so I, I just say that because I think it's a word of correction, really, from the Lord that I've said before. And I, I think it needs to be said again in reference to what we've heard today. I think an application for today's message is to say, God, in truth, 
I am or I am not worshiping. And I know the problem is I'm not abiding, and I want to do that. So as we sing today in response to the message, the whole message that God's spoken today, I hope that you'll commit to that. Not because you have to, not because you're supposed to or ought to, but because God wants your face to change. He wants your heart to change. He wants the, the, the wisdom of his wisdom to be put into your life and to show you how incredible he is. So let's, let's draw from that today in worship. Thanks for the time, Kobe. Appreciate it.